the doubt is always there for a male dancer. Why is he there? This dance did not start for male. This dance did not really exist for men to dance. It, it didn't get famous with men dancing. This dance got famous with female dancers. Welcome to Belly Dance Live podcast. My name is Jana Komarnitska. I'm a full-time dancer based in Toronto, performing a variety of Middle Eastern and Central Asian dance styles, including belly dance. You can find me at janadance.com as well as on Insta or Facebook by Jana Dance or Jana Komarnitska. I'm happy you've decided to join us for this weekly dose of dance inspiration because here on this podcast we explore all nuances and insights into lifestyle of ballet dancers and we are having amazing star guests who share their stories, secrets and tips with you. Hello guys, so you're listening to Ballet Dance Live podcast and today I have here with me Lebanese Simon. How are you? Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and just for those who may not be uh, much familiar with his work, somehow, I don't know how it's possible, but maybe, <laughs> uh, just to give you a couple of highlights about uh, his uh, uh, dance journey so far. So, Simon was born and raised in northern Lebanon, and uh, um, he has traveled internationally to teach, perform, and learn. And also, he had the privilege to study with legendary Amani of Lebanon, Yusuf Sharif, Lubna Imam, and inspiring Karakala folklore dance teachers Sami Kuri and uh, Frankois Rahme. I hope I pronounced their names correctly. You did. They are former soloists in Karakala Dance Company. Now they have their own dance schools and troops. And I love all these names. Thank you for mentioning. <laughs> and uh, Simon uh, is specializing in Lebanese folk dabke as well as oriental dance. And since 2010, uh, he served as artistic director and manager for the Al Autar Zaffa group based in Houston. And uh, also he is executive director of uh, annual Houston Oriental Dance Festival, Imani among many other projects and activities, including his tour uh, over Lebanon, uh, which I'm very excited to talk about too. So I'm really happy to uh, have this opportunity to connect and uh, talk to talk with him today about dance and his uh, journey. Thank you for taking time <laughs> to join us today. Of course, of course, Yana. Thank you. Uh, so I always start all conversations with one question because uh, people know you as successful dancer and artist today but how did dance became part of your life and in terms like obviously you lived in Lebanon so probably dance and music was a part of culture and everyday life but how did it become part of your professional life let's say wow yes um, so how I started, it's obvious sometimes at a six-year-old, at a 40-year-old, music talks to you. It speaks to you and you just move. At a very young age, it's something that every toddler did with turning the wrists and dancing with the wrist hands till they grow up and they start stepping on their foot and then they bounce a little till a few years older where they can move. And then some of them can move more coordinated while I happened to be at a young age, I moved coordinated and I swayed my hips. So I knew at a young age I had 
the hips for belly dance and the passion music spoke to me. So growing up further, I mean, skipped many, many years. I came to the U.S. simply to pursue my education in civil engineering, structural engineering in Houston. And I just went into a class of one dancer, local dancer in Houston, a Lebanese dancer that I loved so much, loved watching her. And I asked her if I could come to your class. She's like, uh, yeah, of course. You know, it was the puzzled, like, what is this guy asking to come to my class for? Well, sure enough, I went in and we became friends. Uh, her name is Tamara. She lives in Houston. And uh, I'm a godfather of two beautiful nephews, her kids. So I love, I absolutely love her. And I love, I keep telling her till today. Many people may not know who she is, but she gave me wings. I mean, I was really passionate. I did it passionately in Lebanon. But when I came to the States, I thought this something has to stop. I mean, it's my professional life and my education that must take over now. But I couldn't till the very last year of my uh, college life. I, I just could not take dance off of my mind and... I'm really glad I stepped into that very first class to learn, just to be amongst it. I mean, I knew how to move, I knew how to sway, but to put discipline into it and get back in the rhythm of it, it was important to me. So this is really the the the, the turn point. It was in the United States, the turn point where I was, in my mind, ready to just deepen it and then become more like a professional teacher and learn it the right way, learning finger symbols, which typically people don't do, learning the props and things of it. It's just I just wanted to dig deeper. Um, so this is really the, at that point, it was probably 2007 is when I went into, okay, now I'm going to learn how to become a good teacher. I'm going to learn how to become a good student. Uh, of a movement that you just did and were good at growing up. Um, so growing up, I did summer camps. I choreographed in those summer camps. I choreographed in uh, in the school plays. This is something that was me. But then you grow, and then this is as many of my cousins and friends who are very talented in Lebanon, but they just dance becomes the back burner. It's not a it's not a style of life. It just, it's an option of life, but you just put it on the side. But for me, no, I, look at me now, I, dance is my life. Mm. That's interesting. And one thing you also mentioned that when you first called uh, uh, Tamara to ask if you can join class, she was surprised, it was that reaction, why, why this guy wants to come. Did you find any surprise or resistance? Because time change and we can... Now it's we see a lot of male dancers and male teachers, uh, but back I remember even when I was starting. For me, it was you know, 15 years ago. It was surprising. Oh, what do you mean, a male teacher? Now it's obvious, <laughs> and it doesn't have any I don't know questions or surprises. But back then, did you feel any resistance or? I mean, I assume, like, from female point of view, we have our own issues when we go in ballet dance, and we have, like, uh, we discuss it a lot with uh, our previous guests, even, and, and some girls uh, in communities that uh, uh, people try to put objectification looks on it. But if you don't mind sharing, is there any um, 
Did you find any difficulties or possibly other possibilities, opportunities as a male student in ballet dance class? I mean, this is deep. This is a good question and this is deep. Um, but I'm going to stay as general as possible um, and, and focus on one little part of it. Um, us Middle Eastern, we always come with a bag of drama. <laughs> We're born with that bag of drama. We're told things. We're told not to. We're told to fear things. Uh, we're told to be careful. But at the same time, I mean, you look at the Middle East, we're willing to experiment and things way beyond. Now, me as a male, it was just the voice in my head telling me, what are you doing? Did you really want to do this? But there's my heart telling me you must. I mean, I just something could be a voice of destiny. I mean, telling me you must go in that class. I don't think I, I did hesitate a lot because Tamara made it very uh, inviting for me. She thought it was a great idea. Why not? Uh, but in the beginning, this, the doubt is always there for a male dancer. Why is he there? This dance did not start for male. This dance did not really exist for men to dance. It, it didn't get famous with men dancing. This dance got famous with female dancers in the golden age of cinema in Egypt. I mean, starting females. And if it was male dancing, maybe it was just to mimic or it was in a sense of mockery in the movies. So this is when the dance became famous and became on a public platform. It was a female form of dance mostly. Maybe the males were doing choreography or staging or so I I just didn't think that way. I simply thought what make what would make Simon happy? Simon's about to graduate, get his degree, hey, one milestone done, I have a job waiting for me. Once you have that kind of confidence, no, you just you have to go head on. So I no, I had to just simply take it for the the pure love and passion that dance would present to me and then I accepted that love and passion and the little struggle of learning and then walked in heads on I was ready at heart I was that's that's great to hear and the reason I asked this question because I feel there are many misunderstandings and misconceptions about it we always think like ballet dance first thing first thought oh it's a female dance but it's not necessarily true like and there are so many great male dancers and teachers who did such a huge impact on this dance form. Right. I want to add to that point really quick. Uh, back in the days, the most famous choreographers, I mean, let's, let's not take it too late. Let's do Rida style back when, I mean, Mahmoud Rida. And now it's, a, remember, when we do a dance and we present it publicly, we present it to the public. Sometimes it could have a message, an artistic message, or a message of defiance of existence, or it can simply be something, a message of entertainment or of artistic uh, showcase. So when you're, when you're putting something that is personally artistic with a message out there, it's your work, whatever you choose to put it, you're there to defend your message. But this form of dance often is being looked at as a form of entertainment. When you put it out there as a form of entertainment, you need to respect your audience. So before you put out self, yourself out there, say, I'm there to entertain you, 
and your audience is just not ready to see a male entertaining them, you need to be mindful of where you're placing your art. In that case, in the beginning, I felt more safe acting to dancing to um, recorded music on a theater. This is first, I mean, and then with a statement of a pure introduction that would announce me as a, an artist with a message. What is the song that I'm doing, what it means, and then what's the message I have there? I felt that's a safe approach. So I don't want to take it back in the days historically, did men exist, did men belly dance? No, I'm, I'm going to just live it and say it the way it is now. Because historically, there is footage, but I don't want to defend the past. I know the past. I just want to speak of me now and many of the male artists now that are hesitant about it. Know who your audience is and know which platform you're presenting your art. I'm a very practical person. Um, they say, why live any style is done in heels? Well, simply because back when it was concrete floor, you had to wear heels to protect your feet. It's not like Lebanese dance had to be done with heels. No, if it was a rug and a shabby wedding, you don't step on a carpet with your shoes. You take your shoes off and you enter. So it became barefoot at that time. It was a ability more sensual. So it depends on the dance surface you're dancing on. Now it's we categorize it so we could sell it. Uh, shoes with heels class, you know. So, but it's at the end of the day, I think, that a male artist should listen to the voice. He should always dance no matter what people say. But you choose where, when, and how to present your dance. I mean, we have great male artists in Lebanon now, and they're coming out. They're coming out with the young artists with like flocks, and it just, it just makes me happier than ever. Some of them, they have a statement, a message of defiance, message of I'm here, I deserve, I have the right to dance. And some they just celebrate, they're happy to dance. And some that are there to put an artistic, theatrical performance, a choreography. Everybody has a message. Now, the problem happens is when a male artist wants to view himself as an entertainer, goes out to an audience at a restaurant where the audience is just not ready for him in the Middle East, then the clash happens. But this is the importance sometimes of coaches and of managers to just guide you. What's your message? Where is it best to be presented or best to be heard? Now, of course, breaking the limits is good for some male artists. And some are able to do both, entertain and teach and start on big theaters. Uh, currently, male artists are the most in, the in demand right now. I mean, if you see most flyers in Europe, there's always that big male headliner. Because I feel a male artist can safely approach a lady and without that competitiveness or without that sensitivity and say, okay, uh, move the hips a certain way. I mean, he's not trying to steal a costume. He's not trying to... Uh, push the song to a different he's just he just he comes in with a joy he's just happy to able to do it i mean despite his past so um this is why they've reached i mean they've worked hard like every female artist and at the end i mean you look at it dance is an art should be genderless shouldn't have a religion and it should be expressed and cherished Mm, that's such a great message uh, and uh, encouragement for actually for both uh, male and female artists in the field. So thanks for sharing. Um, and coming back to your story. So you mentioned how you started going to uh, ballet dance classes. 
and it was out of uh, passion and just voice in your head and in your heart that you must do it. But did you think already back then that you want to take it seriously or was it just for you at the beginning and then it somehow started being more serious? Right. And this, and I hope this doesn't, I mean, it's the, our audience understand this is not coming with a, from a superlativity point of view, but people don't choose fame. Fame chooses them. Why I became famous? Um, of course, I had the drive and the passion for the dance. But then once you're unique and you're able to sustain a style and push through and push hard and rise above the obstacles, fame will happen. And when it happens, you choose whether to embrace it, live with it, or to just step back. Needless to say, what I mean, uh, we're a small little community. So fame is also a relative world. So you have to keep your feet on the earth, you know, and then you sleep at night on a pillow like everybody else. So when people start requesting, I wanted to listen and give them, give back. So this is why I feel I was dragged into it, but feeling happy and feeling content to be dragged into it. Mm. Uh, currently, I mean, I keep saying, okay, uh, Recently, I just switched to work as a consultant, part-time engineer, because dance was just sucking most of my time, and demand is there. And currently, looking at the market in the United States, I'm pleased and happy to say, as a male artist here living in the States, I'm very busy, and I'm very happy with my dance career. Uh, and I have many projects, DVDs that I start producing, some DVDs that are very unique in their content. There is the, the festival that I organize, and then my Zephy group that's a working band, and then my tours in Europe, cultural tour in Lebanon. So I'm quite busy, and I'm able to sustain myself relatively and, you know, and, mean, and make a livelihood out of dance. And all of a sudden, you notice this kind of this world sucks you in and you're happy. You're happy to struggle through it. You're happy to struggle through dance. And if you're happy to struggle through dance, you're just willing to take on more and you grow. So from the class I started in belly dance, going to belly dance 101, and I'm very proud to say, I mean, I came from Lebanon. I didn't say, I know I am Lebanese, then I shall. No. I walked in and I wanted to learn the discipline. And I think, uh, I mean, North American, I mean, in Canada and the U.S., there's great methods of teaching. And I love that. And I learned about how to dissect movement, how to uh, break it down. Because this art, I mean, you can't just come and say, oh, here's a piece of music that you don't understand what it says. <laughs> you don't understand the word of it. Go ahead and feel that. No, you have to dissect the movement and then layer the feeling on top of that and speed it slowly so it's digestible. Uh, and I learned that technique here in the U.S. and I love that about it. So I'm, I'm happy I walked into that class and I'm happy it dragged me to become hopefully an inspiration to many in that sense and, and keeps the passion in me to keep going further and give more and stay fresh and stay unique to my style. 
Well, you definitely are an inspiration today for many dancers because even before I, we start recording this interview, I mentioned how many dancers actually asked me to invite you to the podcast because they really loved your work and wanted to hear more about this. So yeah, it definitely is inspiring your activities. And one of the interesting things that you mentioned, and I hear from interview to interview the same trend that People who become successful in this profession, they usually don't really aim for this famous like fame or anything like that. They just focus on their art and so the fame comes. So someone uh, in some interview, they, they said, life will give you opportunities that you don't ask to, but you need to be ready for those opportunities. <laughs> The biggest obstacle ever for me, and I told you a Middle Eastern, specifically Simon, I don't want to speak in, in general terms because I am a bit different than many male artists. That bag of drama, I'm a mountain boy. I come from the mountains. I live up north. It's very conservative, very strict. So, I mean, on the weekends, I did go hunting with all the boys. I did not spend it wiggling and wearing coins and wearing my unicorn shirt. No, that was not Simon growing up. So this is probably why my Depki could, I mean, you feel the strength. I don't want to say masculinity because this is could be a middle term here. But you see the strength, you see the, the power, you see the, the heart. And when I do Depki, when I do Oriental, that versatility to switch over, it's just it, it's super easy to transition for me. It's like that different color. It's like you put on a different shirt almost that makes you feel a different way. So with that in mind, I mean, I saw that as a uh, unique strength from the beginning. The struggle was to wear the costume. That was the biggest struggle for me. And had I worn the costume super early when I first came to the States, I would have had a lot more chances and a quicker run into, I mean, into presenting myself faster to the American audience and to the international platform. It took me a little while. We come with a bag of drama. But as soon as I accepted to put that very first costume on, this is when the opportunity has been waiting for me, I know. But as soon as you're ready to grab it, and they say, grab it by the horns, it just took off. Um, so it's just a matter of me, that mountain boy who's just not used to this. You answer the phone, you answer with certain mannerism, a certain tone to your voice. In a way, it did help me, but it did kind of hold me back a little bit. But then this is when the opportunity happened. I mean, I don't really remember when's the first time I put on like the pants and the hip scarf, probably either in Fort Worth, Dallas, could be in Houston, I'm not exactly sure. One of these two performances. And... I think this is when I accepted that I'm an artist and I belong on stage. And then the rest, this is when just once you became an inspiration or a sensation and it would be good. And I think I became more of a sensation and inspiration, not online. I'm not the million viewers uh, teacher. No, this is not me. And I, I don't want to be. I would rather have just a thousand that would just value me so much and call me inspiration than just uh, be on like say a dvd cover 
You know what I'm saying? To me, this dance is a personal form of dance. So I want to be in their hearts, not just in their DVD collection, honestly speaking. So in the classroom, people do say that Simon has a message. Um, I do recall uh, Jelena when I saw her at Art of the Belly and she was in my Debki class. She's like, Simon, you have such a, a deep uh, message and tone and you need to just go on an online platform and speak something once every other day. I said, it's, it's going to take me a little while, but this is why you, when you reached out, I'm like, this is, I just need more experience with that, putting myself out there. Because I, I do have, I mean, deep lessons in life with the fact that I come from a very conservative, which is really the background of many female dancers here in the South or in the United States. We're told, don't do this, don't do that, walk, sit certain way. So the fact to put that first hip scarf and first costume on, it's a big milestone. And I always love and respect when I see first-time dancers on the stage with a costume because this is our future. This is the future generation. This is how we evolve and continue. Uh, I don't want want it to be an art that's going to get dusty. We need new blood, new fresh air. It reminds me of me when I started. So this is always when the opportunity presents itself. So grab it and a message to many uh, teachers who are there, always focus on this first time student who walks in with the opportunity to present him the chance to put this very first belly dance costume on because this is where it all starts. Mm. It's so interesting how you put a costume as a sort of symbol of acceptance and presentation and acknowledgement to the world that okay now I'm doing belly dance I mean in general for beginner student uh, because it's very interesting there are so many discussions also today about costumes because some of them they go to both extremes like uh, many dancers I guess pay more attention to costumes than, <laughs> than to dance itself and I saw other dancers uh, who actually refuse uh, on, like I would say even like refuse to care about costume and their statement is like dance is not about costume but it's very it's not really related exactly to your story because you are you are you very interesting associated your first costume with sort of a step in the new water <laughs> let's say to me I, I was simply looking at it from the point of view of when I mean when fame chose me I grabbed it by the horn. I mean, of course, before I put that, it took me maybe two years and many hours of practice. And when I felt I'm ready and the teacher felt that I'm ready, then they said, yeah, you should do it. Go ahead and do it. Um, I don't want it to be a cross message. To me, when you put a costume on, it's like you celebrate, uh, you're presenting it pretty much. You're just framing the hips and framing the upper body pretty much. When I first danced, I literally had like a sweatpants, kind of blue, navy blue uh, pants, just a, like a China style and a tight white shirt and a little hip scarf over. It wasn't about the most expensive costume. It's just the fact that I'm wearing it. The bag of drama again. I take it back to the bag of drama. Like I'm wearing this I'm putting, and I'm putting it out there on a stage like this is when I took it seriously. This is when I knew I'm ready to be judged because you're putting yourself out there. 
And uh, this is when you accept. I said, I'm ready. I'm going to entertain you, but I'm ready for whatever you have to say or think. I think our first costumes as ballet dancers is our, like, our first loves. We always will remember that costume. <laughs> always. It's embarrassing <laughs> as hell now that I look back at it. <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's super embarrassing. But I uh, it was so pretty, though, too, at the same time. Yep. Yeah, it's like two contrasts, but it's um, th that magic moment that uh, everything changes. Remind me to send you that clip. I want to send you that clip. Okay, so once we're done, remind me to, to send it to you. Maybe if you want to post it or add it or something, we certainly can. Or... Yeah, if you have it also on the, somewhere on social media, I will uh, like, and uh, if you want to share with our listeners, I can include link because I think it's very important for people but that's my opinion like there's no wrong or right on it but i the reason why i always start podcast episode with uh, okay how your story begin just to help people to relate because i had some uh, some guest was a little bit uh, wondering or a bit concerned like oh but it's such a typical question it may be boring like what's interesting that but i think it helps people to to relate and to feel that uh, just to have a reminder that everyone has started somewhere and everyone has started as a beginner <laughs> absolutely Yeah, um, I wasn't those, no, I'm, I'm not one of those who said, I am Middle Eastern, then I do know everything. No, no, absolutely. And now in Houston, you have a Zafa group that you are a leader of. How did that idea came from? Oh my goodness, I also that one is, honestly speaking, it's also getting to a point of, uh, it's really famous here in Texas super famous in Texas. We are one of the top, the best, not only Zafi group that is registered with, um, I mean, with a good reputation, with um, uh, with a great team of dancers. I'm very proud of. So the Zafi by itself, it's not like a Zafi group, as you know, in Egyptian context, more a Zafi group from the Lebanese background. So mostly at the, at the bride exit from her house on the very last day, Um, the groom takes a little group of uh, musicians with him to cheer up the family as she's leaving the house to celebrate. Or sometimes her family bring it to cheer them up as she's leaving. They're happy. I mean, so it's typically at the, at the, at the bride exit. But also sometimes the guys the night before for the groom, they gather him and they do a little celebration, just guys by themselves. So the two concepts come together in the Zephi now, what's, what helps make the Zephi procession for a Lebanese wedding. And then what happens typically upon arrival to the reception hall, then you have the first part, which is the introduction of the bride and the groom, which could be they both come together or they both come separately. And then the celebration, which is the dance around them that happens, the folkloric choreography that happens around them just to showcase them, showcase the folk dance around the bride and the groom. And it could be very modern, or it could be very fusion, or it could be a simple, just the act of the celebration around them. And then the third part, which is the medley, where everybody joins center stage, and then we reel the drums, and then it's more of a music thing. And this is kind of what, I love this, they made it for me in Italy. When I was there, they found the costume online, and then they made me a little doll. 
And then when I finished my show, they presented me as the cutest. But as you notice, I mean, this is at the end. The third part, it's mostly the focus is the drum. The attire is not just folkloric old style. It still have the head and the belt and the shirt and the shirwal, but also it's it has a modern impact also because it's it's in 2018 we're doing the wedding. So it has a little more spark to it. Um, and sure enough, I started in 2010. We've been in business for eight years uh, in Houston and we're busy, 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 busy. And it started simply with, you know what, guys? I love Tudepki. I love the music. I'm an entertainer. I know how to look and get people to feel excited. Gathered four or three of my engineering friends from University of Houston and got the costume made, shipped to the U.S., and then we did them. That was the very first. And one led to the other. We were, there's not many. And then we worked and improved on it. And it was perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And do you usually uh, work with the Lebanese community in Houston, or is it now spread? Like, is it usually Lebanese weddings that invite you to perform? I think predominantly, I'd say 30% of our weddings are Lebanese. The other 30% are Palestinian. And the other 40% is a mix. Either Iraqi marrying a Syrian, a Syrian marrying another Syrian, or a... Uh, Moroccan or uh, a mix of Jordanian, but predominantly I'd say 60 to 70% of the weddings are either Lebanese or Palestinian. They're quite different in two, which really what caused me to deepen my knowledge and the difference in the tradition between a Palestinian wedding and a, and a Lebanese wedding and what is customary. And that made me more understand more The, that intelligence, that those traditions and the customary things between the families and where are the sensitive parts in the bride's family or in the group's family. And that really helped me understand the difference between the two folklore depkis. So uh, I'm, I'm not only able to say, for example, teach the Lebanese depki and the Palestinian depki, but understand what's behind it or what's the intent and the folk style and the form and the folk original form of depki. Um, not just uh, not just simply say, oh, the debki is one move, it's a six. No, it does vary between attire and costume. There's things you need to do, things you need to know. Um, so knowing the two differences, it, it helps me in the teachings as well. But for weddings, it's a, it's a big market. It's a really big market out there. And we've been actually voted in the U.S. as one of the top, if not the top Middle Eastern dance performing group for 2016 we were so we're, we're busy out there and then our rates are quite um they meet our standards so clients know that we we expect uh professionalism we charge for what we think we're worth and we're out there we're in atlanta we're in miami we're in the u.s sometimes it takes us to chicago sometimes it, uh, the zephy takes us to california where other groups exist but The way we present it, typical Lebanese debki, we're, we're full of style, full of energy, and we keep that in all Zephi we do. How big is your group now at this point? <clears throat> we are a total, we're a total of 16. Oh, wow. Yeah, for a given wedding, we typically come out six or seven at a time. 
because not everybody is typically available for that. Typically, you have four uh, lead male performers, two female performers, two to three. Um, so if you have four male artists, you fit three ladies and just for formation. And then you have one lead drummer that typically joins in. So a complete team would be a team of eight, uh, standard five to six. The entrance is, like I told you, the three parts, the introduction, the dance, and the medley, roughly 20 to 22 minutes. And you say, oh, you charge so much, 20, 22 minutes. Just imagine having to wear this costume, carry a drum, drum and dance, and sometimes sing. It's hard. It's super hard to be moving with instruments and dancing and putting yourself, I mean, at 100% for an entire 15, 20 minutes is, is super hard plus all the preparations that comes with it. Yeah, and it's also physical activity, and there's always uh, injuries and everything, but whenever I hear those questions, uh, because I think it's not only about Zafa, it's uh, even about ballet and show, then you say it's like 20-25 minutes, it's the same question, oh, but how much it is. What I love to say to people is like, you're not paying for minutes of performance, you're paying for experience of your guests. Of course, of course. <laughs> so it's different. But uh, I also want to go a little bit deeper because I feel ballet dancers, as ballet dancers, we, we know about Zafa's like, first association. If you say ballet dancers, Zafa, it's Shamadan, Zafa beat, etc. Or folkloric, okay, Dabke, we see Dabke on stage. But Zafa in actual like, cultural environment, in wedding, in social and cultural um, historical environment, it's much more than this. And... Zafas, you mentioned briefly that Lebanese Zafa is different from Palestinian and it's different from Egyptian. So what are the typical attributes of Lebanese Zafa? Like, I'm not sure, like, I, I was a part of quite a few Lebanese uh, Zafas here in Toronto because we have Lebanese community too. And, like, few things that brought really my attention that I never saw at any other Zafas is uh, use of two swords, or at least one sword, that are given to bride and groom. And sometimes I saw, this I don't know if it's really like anything Lebanese, or is it Canadian Lebanese, or just it happened to happen only at Lebanese weddings, but people were putting, they were using uh, money banknotes, sometimes real, sometimes fake, and they tape one to each other, so it became a huge huge strip of money and they put this money around bride and groom. I'm not sure if it has anything to do really with Lebanese culture, but I saw it quite a few times, specific at Lebanese weddings. That's why. Is there anything else? I think it's, it could be from a specific little cultural practice, but it's not general Lebanese from my understanding. I know typically at weddings, they tip all that money would go to the bride and the grooms towards that house. So sometimes I know at weddings what happened when my sister got married is say my uncle comes an envelope in my in my brother-in-law's pocket, like toward your house, toward your house on the day of the reception. In Arabic term, we say na'ata, na'ata. Na'ata means lal'arus, na'ata lal'arus means he backed her up. And then my mom would say, did your aunt na'atatik? Did your uncle na'atik? So this is the fact that did he back you up? So the money is just a form of gift, but also we're used to money being a form of celebration as tips like, hey, I've got money, just let it rain, let it rain. I know for Lebanese Zephi for me, with my experience in the modern Zephi world, the current Zephi 
the most important thing is the drum show. Having the drum and having the drum show, the full back bend and drumming. Sword spinning is important, but now these days you need to be very careful. I get a lot of clients and newlyweds, they're just not happy with the edge of the sword and the sword being around and what it could or may represent. So they would rather keep it drum related. They like the, the swords to close in the front and the swords open and they walk through. It's just a practice of celebration, like you walk underneath the edge of the sword that protects you to um, something in that. It's, it's just a royalty for formalities that just carried over. Um, but mostly for a Zephy to be a Zephy, you're not just a dancer and you're not just a musician and you're not just an entertainer. You're all the three at the same time. You have to smile in people's face. I tell my dancers, you're paid to smile, and then you're paid to put yourself out there. You're an entertainer. You have to drum on tempo, and then when you dance, you turn together, you go down together. No one sees the footwork, but they see you when you turn at the same time. They see you when you squat at the same time. Zephy is a bit different when you're performing. It focuses a lot on the upper body while you're performing. So if the hands are going right and left, upper body is very important. It actually takes, for Zephy performers, it takes the focus a little off the feet. Now, when people sit down for a dinner show, it's a Depki show. This is separate. But the act of Zephy, we do it with the bride and the groom as a procession. It's an instrument dancing and entertaining which could include a smile you give the stick to the drum to the audience you give them the drum it has to be interactive it's it's not a theater show the concept is completely different and people did did criticize in lebanon oh those zephys they're not folklore they're very folkloric in what they do but the way we present them like i said take it back to I mean, to uh, to modern attire, it's very showy. I mean, because the covers of the tables are not same as the cover of the tables of weddings in 1980s. So it's more elaborate. So our drums are decorated. Our costumes are decorated. Our dance now is more interactive. Our drum show has a lot of backbend drops, five drummers underneath on the floor, the bride and the groom in the middle. It's, it's, it's a three... Uh, three aspect, like I say, and I think it's more impactful than simply a Depki show. It's more tiring. You're dancing, you're drumming, and then you're being interactively an entertainer. So uh, this is how I train my team members to be, and it's, uh, it's helped a lot of them to open up. It helped a lot of them to understand how to be a performer, how to be an entertainer. It's not simply, you can't be the best Depki dancer and know how to do Zephi. No, no, absolutely not. Takes a lot more. I think it's also important to be a good team member because you can't really, it's not choreographed show, but at the same time you need to be focused because it has some structure. So you can't, I mean, in my experience with Zephi, like until it goes to the performance part or Depki part, like as a performance, the first entrance 
it's all happens on the spot. You never can predict what's happened, how people will interact. Absolutely. But at the same time, as a group, you need to have consistent and have a feeling that, oh, it's a group t- group dance, group entrance, sure. group performance. Sure. My, my common rule to my dancers and my group is don't allow five seconds to pass without having an eye contact with your leader, with your Zafi leader. Five seconds happens. After five seconds, you must take your eyes back to the leader because I'm sure he has a message or I'm sure he moved through the dance floor. So you constantly, as a troop of six, you have to keep your center, the bride and the groom in the middle. You can't just gang up three on one side and three on the other side. There's rule and common practice in Zephi that we have the way I do with my group, that we have to constantly cover the surface and be equidistant, but not lose eye contact with the leader. And me as a Zephi leader, I still love to come out with the Zephi group. And as I say, I lead by example with them. I, this is the only one time that I say, do as I do, not do as I simply say in Zephi. Because I'm able to, the weddings that Simon's are in, Simon, and now thank God, I mean, my age is still allow me to be out there. But eventually I'm going to step back and then let the, the young and the fresh, young, little jumpy monkeys with the drums just take over and I step back and hopefully by then they had the training and the expertise that it's a lot of intelligence on the floor and some some dancers I know they're not the best deputy dancers or drummers but they have that intelligence they're entertainers mm. this is what we look for actually for Zephi not uh, pure on deputy folk yeah it's a separate separate uh, set of skills <laughs> And uh, uh, moving forward from Zafas to Dabke, <laughs> uh, this is one of your specialties for sure. And uh, you teach a lot of workshops on Dabke. And then I looked at your website. You have like, I think, four or five workshops about Dabke and different stages of teaching Dabke. Some are uh, steps, some are like more folkloric, more modern. Why do you think it's so important to divide? Why? Can it be just one Dabke workshop? <laughs> I'm going to take it back a little bit and let you know that I did not choose to be known for Dabke. Dabke chose me. Mm. And it was the belly dance market that chose me because when they saw me do it, they saw something, something deep from the heart. Maybe not the highest jump, but something authentic, like deep from within. And I appreciate and I thank my audience for that. But I want everybody to know that my first passion and always will be oriental dance. Mm. When I picked back up that day, it was at a later age, not at a young where I've started Depki say at eight professionally and I was twirling on my knees uh, in Georgia. No, no, no. My passion will and always be oriental dance. Many workshops know, many workshop invitees know. I would love to go teach a Depki workshop, but I do have that minimum requirement. You want me for Depki, you must have me for an Oriental. In China, they know, and many other countries, they know. I My passion is Oriental. I have a fresh Oriental style. Many are trying to have you abide by the formalities and the current going style, and I refuse. I'm going to stick as original as I can. But when it comes to Depki, there's not many teaching it. And if I'm going to teach something, when I went back to Lebanon, I want to learn to count it right. I want to learn the rhythm and the background. This is what dancers ask for. 
my students don't simply ask, show me the move. They want to know more. They want to know why is it this way? How does the music make you feel and move you? So I start asking questions. I started researching. Then I deepened my knowledge in the Palestinian style because the wedding required that, the wedding services, the Zafi business. And then I started discovering things and collecting information. So Detki has evolved as a folklore, even though many of the current teachers and uh, master instructors, they don't want to admit it or they don't want to teach how it has evolved. But if you go to Lebanon, you see it on the, on the theater. The Rahbani styles of 1970 is hardly being done. Now it's more modern Debki, contemporary style. They're doing Debki on no music now. It has evolved. Here's how I don't want to defend the evolution of it. I just want to celebrate it, I feel. Any dance must be celebrated. You could always give your opinion as a caring person, and you could always give your opinion as a belly dance police. But I just want to remind everybody that no one likes a police. You could be the caring person and put it out there. But to be uh, the belly dance police out there and say, this is not what it is, this is not Debki, this is... When you're asked for your opinion, give it. Give it in a private message. It's important. When Debki has evolved, it has a lot of contemporary now added to it, a lot of jazz movement. I know from some of the current and modern dancers that have came from Lebanon to join me. I see it in their dance. Uh, almost to them, if you haven't had a contemporary class or a modern technique, there's something lacking. I think the theater re requires that. So if you're doing Dipki on a big theater stage, it requires that. But if you're doing Dipki in a village party, this is where the footwork and the balance plays a better role. So in my Depke Volume DVD 1, now it's, it, that one is available for purchase online. Uh, we're, we're, I mean, we're, we have some, some of those little promotional video going on. That teaches the folk style basic six with the emphasis on weight and balance change. So it teaches you how to do a basic debki, but still go to a village party and do it and impress. Whereas theatrically, if you do these moves on a theater, people won't be satisfied. It doesn't have the stage. It doesn't cover surface as much. When you want to cover surface and you want to use the theater, then there's theater concepts that has evolved more in jazz and contemporary and ballet that we must take from in order to spin and get to the corner, in order to spin and get formation, and then do a Debki line. So the concept of Debki has evolved. This is why for me in my class, uh, in my workshops, I have variety. I have the variety of theatrical Debki, born with the Karakalla technique and influence that is very heavy in Lebanese professional Debki dancers. You also have... Um, the traditional, more the Rahbani, the Fairuziyat style from the plays, the theater plays. And you have the very folk Debki that is celebrated in the villages, the basic six with the crazy jumps. So already speaking now, I've already had three categories for you. But then on top of that, there is Debki moves for belly dancers that ex-belly dancers back in the 80s and the 90s made that famous. 
Just like in Egypt, every dancer had to have a lot of Saidi number or a Wazi number or a Falahi number. So does a Lebanese dancer in her one hour show. She had a little number, either a Bedouin fusion or a Debki fusion, where she just used the cane as the prop instead of the Malwaha. Cane covered more space. And they would use it. It's called Khaizarani. It's not the stick. It's not the Saidi stick. It's called Khaizarani. It's a little narrower and sometimes it's decorated. It's a little more flexible, and they use it as a prop as they're, um, as they're doing Depki fusion, belly dance fusion. And now I have that course also for many dancers because now Depki is a hot topic. It's a hot topic in Asia. It's a hot topic in Russia. It's a hot topic, and these are the two markets now that are leading. And um, it's a hot topic in Lebanon. Of course, in Egypt, more Saidi is the hot topic over there. So when, when I'm being asked for it, then I always have in my Depki Fusion choreography uh, Depki footwork, but something that does involve the hips as well. So I'm able to touch also on that, how a successful belly dancer sh- can present her show with a flair of Depki, because say in Dubai, in Oman, in Bahrain, those entertainment restaurants, they hire belly dancers, she must know that style it's it's different it's Lebanese cabaret style yeah absolutely that's actually a very interesting point that you touched uh, uh, touched on because I assume those dancers for whom they are doing like one hour show and they have one number dubke, they still probably do it in belly dance costume wearing heels they're not going back to change specifically for dubke. I mean they can but it's very common to see we see these little clips on social media just a belly dancer uh, but doing dubke. Where would you suggest dancers who are not working in the Middle East, who are not doing those kind of shows, how they should approach and where should be the line of, okay, I want to do, let's call it belly dance, dubka fusion on stage, but what they should pay attention to in terms of movements, in terms of props, and in terms of costumes? Okay. I want to come across here not as a belly dance police, but I do want to sound as an encouraging, caring person who is happy to see others dance. Get out there and dance. But before that, it's important to take a Depki class. One, two, maybe three. Get familiar with the tempo and the rhythm, being on rhythm. Because with the Depki rhythm, we don't start with a doom. The most common one, famous one is the Katatufti. It starts with tak. So the accents, as we're commonly known in belly dance, we follow the doom. My advice to you, get familiar with the katatufti rhythm, or also known in, in North America as nawari, and practice your dooms. Rak-doom, tak-doom, tak-rak-doom, doom-doom, tak. Get familiar with that second off doom. Once you get familiar with it and you practice it, get your DVD assignment to learn the basic six. If that helps... At least that gets you a basic six and some formation. The other thing, find me when I'm around the world traveling. Book a little private or Skype session if you're interested. And if I have the time, I'll find it. If you really want to deepen, I am happy to get you there. I'm happy to support you. But it must start with you getting familiar with that famous rhythm. You're getting familiar with the basic six count. And take it up a notch and practice it. Once you get familiar with the real folklore in the beginning, then go ahead and layer a hip turn, hip accent, 
and cross a six and do it at the same time. But you must, and this is this is always true, you must know your essence, you must know your folklore before you attempt to fuse it, before you attempt to mix it. You must know it. Um, some of the references that I do love, and you might love their work, you might not, it's up to you, but one of the dancers that you want to look up, maybe from the past that I like, is Rindala Show. Rindala was a Lebanese dancer. Um, he used to be called the Saika Hurricane. And uh, the other one, uh, or a lightning. And then the other one is Nabila Metwelli. Her depki was very, very strong. I don't want to, again, use the term masculine, but it was very strong. Um, she would just diplow, and she did it even in heels. The current dancers, there's uh, this beautiful dancer from Mexico that I love, um, that I'm, I'm a good inspiration to, and... She loves me, stays in touch with me. She lives in Dubai. She was one of the top cabaret oriental dancers in Dubai. Now is no longer working in the cabaret Tatiana Avila. I love her. I love her work back with the Depki Fusion. And not just did she do a prop with the cane, she does a prop with the poi. Her show is a full-on entertainment. So if you're looking for an entertainment show, Lebanese style, you could look at the many Brazilian and uh, Mexican dancers uh, that are now working the Middle East, either through Toros or other agencies that I'm familiar with. Uh, you could look up, say, Depki uh, with Kane things, and then follow these dancers. You might have a good lead, but I always suggest uh, start it from the correct door, from the authentic real door. Learn your Depki, learn that rhythm. Uh, and from that, from that on, then listen to the music, listen to the lyrics, and enjoy it. Belly dance costume, doing depki, why not? I'm, I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to tell dancers what to wear, what not to wear. It's her show. She's a star. She should have, she should have the freedom to do whatever she wants. But she needs to know that she's putting out there herself out there for judgment. So she better be ready. And. Uh, to me, at the end, if you're doing a good move, you're doing a good move. If you're doing a good dance, you're doing a good dance. But you do it out there and it looks bad, get ready. <laughs> be free, but be ready. <laughs> yeah, be free, but be ready. And better be good. <laughs> also, one question that I cannot skip for sure is about your tour in Lebanon that you do from time to time. Can you tell a little bit us about it and what is included what experienced dancers get absolutely i will go into the details um this is becoming a super hot place to be dancers these day as social media is opening up everything now we're getting bored of the same old same old people are looking at new sources of inspiration and less of the just 100 hours of just dance they want that cultural experience and this is one unique thing about my cultural tour of Lebanon. It's truly a cultural tour, heavy in the tradition, heavy in the mountain and the historical references. But at the same time, it's super elegant, super beautiful at a beautiful, nice resorts and location. So you are expecting to truly enjoy in a nice ambiance, uh, the best we could provide. So. For this year, and I announced it on Instagram, I haven't posted it on Facebook yet, save the date. It is May 24th until June 1st. 
this is the third cultural uh, tour with Simon, with with with, with Simon, and then typically the hashtag hashtag Simon does Lebanon 2019. So last year, what we typically do, we ask everybody to arrive on a Friday or a Saturday. And then Saturday night is our first night when we go to watch a Lebanese uh, restaurant show with a belly dancer and a folklore deputy troupe. Excellent dinner. They're all pumped up. They're all ready. We just do it hardcore. We go out there. There's a beautiful band. We dance all night. The next day on Sunday, I take that mood and I put it on the beach because we stay in Biblos, overlooking the beach. The nice thing with the Phoenician old city in Biblos at night, uh, those restaurants, uh, some of them are souvenir shops and old, really Phoenician, beautiful little uh, city. It it also turns into like pubs and music, Lebanese music in the night. So you have that for Sunday night. And Sunday in the morning, we do a beach day on the beach. So beach party, but with all Arabic music. And in Lebanon, what's beautiful about it, you do wear whichever bathing suit you want or whichever attire you want. You could dance at the pool with everybody around you, Middle Eastern and non-Middle Eastern and foreigners visiting. This is the beautiful thing about Lebanon. It's so open-minded, relatively speaking, that when you're at a resort, you're truly enjoying. You cannot walk the street and, I mean, feel that somebody's looking at you funny. I mean, honestly speaking, you might... It's going to take you wearing almost nothing for people to look and have Lebanon. It's, I mean, Lebanon, the beauty of it, you could walk the streets wearing short shorts and a tank top and a little something over. Not all the areas, of course, but predominantly in the area we go to around Beirut, super modern, super fresh. But the music is real. The historical references are real. Uh, the historical uh, feeling, it's in the streets. The hospitality is in the streets. The the cathedral is there. The big mosque is there. It's just, you see this intertwining, this cross-religion, this uh, mountain crosses the ocean. It's super, that, that little inner living is is, 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 is very essential. You, you, you'll, you'll see it, you'll feel it. The hotel is a beautiful little boutique hotel with the most beautiful view in the morning breakfast. You look out of the window and you see the beautiful ocean and the old Phoenician home, the old uh, Lebanese home, and then the Biblos castle and the whole historical references and the beach on the other side. It's a, it's a really nice location. So Monday, we wake up in the morning after just tiring ourselves out Saturday and Sunday, taking it easy with the jet lag. Monday, normally we start our first dance class. We do two workshops with two master instructors in Lebanon or two sensational new figures in Lebanon that we pick. Typically per day you have folklore or folklore fusion class and then an oriental class. In the evenings, they're yours. They're yours to discover the city and relax and go get things done like getting a SIM card or a little bit of shopping and souvenirs. Uh, You can go to the rooftop and enjoy the view and have dinner. The next day on Tuesday, you wake up and we have cultural tour day. So we go to the Anthropology Museum. We go to the Musa Castle, which is another museum of, that celebrates the livelihood and the different aspects of uh, uh, Lebanese tradition. 
And then after that, we depki, we have more fun, and then we go up uh, a hike through the cedar forest with a guide, with a guide. And um, that evening, we come back super late. We spend most of our time up on the bus driving up the mountain to get these amazing places. Um, we do sometimes, if time allows, we do yoga up in the cedar forest. If time allows, we land back in the evening exhausted. We go to sleep because the next day, uh, we have another day of classes. We have two classes offered, typically 10 to 12, take one hour break, one and a half hour break, then 1.30 to 4.30, and then the evening you could go to the beach, you could walk to the beach and uh, spend the evening. And then second day of excursion, third day of dance, last day of excursions. We visit Gibran, Khalid Gibran. Uh, every year we have some highlights and some locations, some new touristic sites that we visit. You're always in a big, safe, uh, uh, insured pullman that drives you all the way. So security and insurance is important for me. We, we just want to make sure we're safe and God forbid if something happens that we are covered. So that's how we alternate. Three days of classes, three days of excursion tour um, on the cultural tour typically we require that you pick a minimum of two days of excursion and three core classes in order to just be able to participate with the minimum amount the last day we give you a day to just catch up and tour and shop uh, you want to get the abayas you want to get the little souvenirs you want to uh, buy the canes you want to buy things to take with you it's all right there it's just a footsteps and i love what people say simon i did not feel scared walking in the streets at all and if i needed any question i spoke english or french and people understood exactly what i mean i needed and they're gladly to help i love biblos i love being there so um, i'm really excited to be doing it in 2018 and i'm waiting for good passionate dancers to come uh, i do have one disclaimer to say if you submit an email to lebanesesimon at gmail.com with the interest to attend, um, there's a little interview process. We want to make sure that you're ready because I do max it at only up to 14 people because it's a very particular uh, location that really required a lot of work and a lot of my attention. And I want to be able to cater to all the people and support all their needs as needed. So I do limit it, and you, I mean, I need to know your background a little more to see if you're best fit, because some hikes could be a little tiring, but you could choose to opt from doing the hikes, which is completely fine. But also, I want to know that you're a team player. I want to make sure that you get along with other dancers, that you have the right motives to go there with us, because I want to make sure that spot is for the right person as well. The pricing, many people ask me about the pricing, and I say Lebanon is a little pricier than Egypt. Not a little, a lot pricier than Egypt, but we do it at a good package. A night, nine nights, would stay in the hotel, would start at $700 per person, two per room, typically. And typically, pay your own flight, and then the remaining classes is a la carte. Excursion days a la carte. You pick and choose. So once you reach out to us, my team, my manager, or myself will send you a little tentative uh, calendar that we have with the with the pricing, and so you could prepare yourself ahead of time. But I tell you, there's a lot of dancers. Once they got there, they almost did not want to come back. It's uh, it's very free. 
but you feel the culture very heavy in culture and music. It's uh, incredible how much passion uh, I can hear in your voice just uh, talking about this project. So it's really uh, like a baby <laughs> project that you're carrying a lot. And it's interesting that you are uh, sort of making sure that people are ready. It's not just, oh, you want to come? Sure, come. <laughs> no problem. But this is not soul. I'm not. I want the longevity for this project and I want authenticity and I also want to give them. A really good experience. Uh, you have to be a player. Many who did this group, I mean, if you don't have some kind of strict rules relatively, like say we sit on the first time in the in the uh, induction meeting, typically we sit in there and then we talk about okay, we're going to this restaurant. What are the common things we need to know? Common Arabic words you need to know to communicate common hand gestures and common relationship. I mean, a certain attitude, how to say no without be offensive, but at the same time, stop a male who's trying to ask you to dance and force himself to dance with you. Things like this, how you, how you comport yourself, uh, words and, and, and comments you need to know and, and things and how to behave. And certain sometimes I too tell all my female dancers, when you're with me, you have to respect my presence. I'm amongst professionals in Lebanon who respect my name and love me, and my image is very important to me. The last thing we want to do is have a bad reputation to the store that might affect years to come. So you need to know when you're on a table, and it's not time for you to get up and dance because the belly dancer is dancing. You need to kind of give her the time and respect and just sit and Stay on your seat when you're on the dance floor in a public setting. It's recommended that you dance as a participant, not dance as a, you're not on stage. You need to be mindful and respectful because then the, you're making everybody uncomfortable to get up and dance relatively. We still do the freedom, but we have common agreements and things. So the, so, so the experience is enjoyable for everybody. It's it's not just the sake of every, the, the sake of the individuals, the sake of, of the entire group that attends, and uh, we've been great in agreeing with each other, enjoying the buses, dancing on the bus nonstop. We just, I never imagined the day we were not dancing. And even we went late at night. We would go party at night in the pubs, Arabic music. We meet amazing people. We're coming back to the hotel five-minute walk, and we're dancing like late, late at night, 1, 2 a.m. You don't feel that, <laughs> you don't feel you're not safe. You're just having fun nonstop. Well, that's the magic of a, a great event <laughs> or festivals that just make us feel uh, uh, superheroes. We can do anything and we can dance for one week, no sleep, <laughs> no food, <laughs> nothing, just course. dance. Of it's course. amazing. And there's coffee. Lebanese coffee is always ready for you. You don't need to sleep. <laughs> Well, uh, are you coming? I would love to. Like, I'm so. I was partially curious. Like, I want to like know a little bit deeper. But with this, because I'm very curious about the cultural, uh, not just the dance festival that we come to dance, but also some events that we can connect to the culture. And I think your event is one of the greatest opportunities. And it's amazing and fabulous how today we are focusing on different countries, that belly dance is not just one country or city, which is beautiful, but it has so many 
historical connections and uh, and I, I'm gl I'm very glad that dancers more and more discover and remind are reminded about that uh, today by different events including and activities and teachers and performers <laughs> so that's awesome of course Egypt is motherland I always and will always say it. I mean Egypt is the Middle Eastern country with 90 million it's the it's the it's the listening ear it's the beating heart based on location of it as well but if I may also remind everyone that every Middle Eastern country has its own contribution to music and Middle Eastern music and Middle Eastern dance. And the more you widen your knowledge and your cultural experience, the more you see the, you see the world from a wider angle and you enrich yourself and your vocabulary. Uh, I truly, truly suggest you go visit any possible Middle Eastern countries, Egypt, Morocco, Tunisia, but don't forget also Lebanon. Uh, Lebanon has, it's the Paris of the Middle East. It's uh, at the end of the day, it's almost like a must. It's a small little country with the biggest voice out there with only 6 million, but we're pretty loud. You hear of a Lebanese restaurant, you know what I'm saying? You don't say, hear a lot of a Jordanian restaurants. The, the Lebanese have worked their butts off all over the world, try to put themselves at the forefront of things or give back, but also it's the dancer's responsibility to also give back and support. So at the earliest opportunity you can, come and enjoy the Middle East, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And can you once again remind people what are the dates for your event? You said May 24 to June 1st? 4 until June 1st. Uh, it will be during Ramadan, and I specifically pick that time um, because Lebanon, uh, Ramadan doesn't stop us from doing things at all. Uh, Lebanon has a, like almost a 40, 60, like it's really lived by both religion, uh, Christian and Muslim. So fasting, it won't restrict us from doing anything. It won't restrict any of us from attending. But at the same time, I feel uh, during that month, there is less foreign footprint Mm. Uh, from the neighboring Gulf countries on Lebanon. So I feel the restaurants are more open and there's more space for us to dance. It's a good timing. <laughs> so it's, it's an excellent timing for us to dance. The beaches are super packed with uh, Lebanese people, which is I, I, I feel that month is so special to me because I come from the northern part. I love it. It means a lot to me during Ramadan. Uh, to spend it with family. It has a really beautiful feel in the northern side where I live. You know, once we move to the, I mean, to the Biblos where the, where the cultural tour takes place, you don't feel the difference. The beach is open, everything, all the restaurants are open, everything is cool, the nightclubs are working, the restaurants are working. So, but the only little difference is that little foreign gulf footprint is less, uh, I mean, less visible in the night scene, so you get to enjoy the night scene a lot more. There's a lot more Debki music that gets played and a lot more Arabic music. So this is why specifically I pick it at that time. And uh, the historical sites that we visit, they're less busy, so you truly enjoy, you truly have the space to move around. Because it's a small country, but it's a very, very touristic country. Mm. So picking that time is perfect, actually. Oh, that's, that's awesome to know. Oh, great. And to contact me, Lebanese Simon, 
uh, at gmail.com. Yeah, I was just about to ask. Uh, so I will include links to your website or to show notes for everyone uh, who is interested. Uh, go to show notes and just uh, links are there. Also, can you, before I ask our final question, a closing question, can you tell uh, where is the best way for dancers to follow your activities? Is it website? Is it social media? Social media, Instagram. I am so out there on Instagram. You could message me on Instagram. You could follow me on Instagram, Lebanese Simon. Uh, I say Facebook next. I have two pages on Facebook, Simon Sacco. And I also have my fan page, Lebanese Simon Sacco. And this is these two Facebook pages. You could message me for questions about DVD content and all that. But you could also... Message me on Instagram for details and follow my current dance videos or where I am around the world on Instagram. I love Instagram. Um, Facebook, I'm currently putting things out there, but as we know, Facebook has a lot of commercials that pops here and there, and that's been slowing me down. I just, it distracts me a little bit, but um, I promise to keep myself out there, keep posting videos and celebrating dance, and I want everybody to do the same. Mm, that's that's nice, uh, nice. Another nice message. Uh, just putting your stuff out, guys, <laughs> and let let's share it with the world. Uh, again, I'll include all show link, um, all links to show notes, so it's easier for everyone to just click and connect. Uh, and before I sort of um, close on our final signature question of podcast i just want to thank you once again for taking your time and share all your thoughts and all your knowledge and experience and inspiration with all dancers and uh, i'm pretty sure a lot of people found a lot of not only useful but very encouraging and inspiring uh, thoughts ideas uh, from our conversation so thank you so much for taking your time my pleasure Ian. thank you for having me thank you Harry. thank you my pleasure. And I always, uh, we kind of have our signature question of the podcast, and it's uh, very simple and sometimes tricky. You can interpret it in whatever uh, way you want, but I always ask people, what makes you fall in love with belly dance again and again, so you keep doing it for so many years? This question, I'm gonna, what makes me fall with it? It's... Um... I just wake up and I remember what, I mean, how and why I fell in love with it in the first place. I mean, so as a young kid, um, I loved doing it. I was encouraged and pushed to do it. And they loved watching me dancing as a child. And then it comes to a certain age, 12, 13, and then it wasn't a fun thing to do. It was, a, it was a little shunned of me to do it, and it was a disappointment if I did it. It was the words and the things of people that said to me that hurt my ears a lot. They knew or they didn't know, but it did hurt me a lot. Why do I do it? Why do I look that way? I'm a sissy. Look at this guy. Look, he's a da-da-da. Thinking back, the years of deprivation of it growing up in my teens not being able to do it and having to do it, say, just in a restroom before shower when I'm able to turn the music. I just don't want anybody to go through what I went through. And if they could just do the dance and love it for the true first love they did, 
they should always do it. So I come from a place of uh, I've been deprived from it at the years where I needed it the most. And when I did it, I was judged and called names. Like I told you, this bag of drama that comes with a Middle Eastern generally and a male dancer as well specifically, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to celebrate it. They're going to talk regardless. Whoever has to talk and wants to talk about it and judge and say, let them talk. At the end of the day, I'm happy to do it. It's a way for me to say I'm alive. And this is why it makes me fall in love with it more and more because it comes from a deprivation. It comes from a, a form and expression that I'm never, never able to express it. My mother would, and this is a little personal, get a little sensitive here, but I mean, she would come and knock at the door. I'm like, the water's been running for 10 minutes. I could hear music in there. Have you finished shouting? I was 14 years old, and I said in my head, I haven't finished dancing. I'll shout in a little bit. And then I say, yes, I'm done. That fear of being caught or not doing it. Now I get to enjoy it and celebrate it. Don't let anybody stop me. And don't let anybody stop you or anybody for those who are listening. Get over obstacles in life and get over them with strength and confidence because what doesn't kill you make you stronger, right? So dance and celebrate, dance. And the fact that I get to do it, something that I wasn't able to do for years in the past, that's joy by itself. Guys, thank you so much for spending this time with us. And if you like this episode, it will mean a world to me if you take a few seconds and leave us a review on iTunes or share it with your friends. Also, you can always find more information about podcast as well as past episodes at yanadance.com slash podcast. As well as you can connect with me on social media by Yana Dance or Yana Komarnitska. I'm very active on Instagram as well as Facebook and share a lot of tips and inspiration for your daily ballet dance life. And by the way, don't forget to subscribe to podcast so you never miss a future episode. And until next time, keep shimming.